Welcome to Brave Church Podcast, and thank you for joining us today. We're in a series on Sundays going through the Gospel of Mark. We believe the kind of church Jesus came to start is more than a crowd. It's friends on a mission living life together. Another great way to connect further is through social media, where there is content designed to inspire and inform you. Here's this week's talk. Hey, how are you guys? So good to see you. Yeah, so um, we, we did. We lived in Maui um, suffering for the Lord uh, for eight years. And 2010, that's when we moved to England. And it's interesting how um, those two places are so different from one another. We go from Kihei, Maui, it's like this sleepy beach town, up over to Oxford, just completely different environment. Um, the, the only thing I, I, I think is similar um, is, is the weather that reminds me of Jesus, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Although England was consistently more gray than Maui. Um, but uh, yeah, we did that for a couple years, and then we uh, moved to Portland, Oregon. That's where we live now. I pastor a church called Westside at Jesus Church, and uh, it's just such an honor to be down here. Uh, I was here, I think, almost exactly a year ago, and I'm um, just blown away um, by what God is doing here how the church is growing. This is incredible. Three gatherings now. And uh, just to hear all the way up in Portland, uh, amazing things that God is up to. So thank you. Thanks for inviting me. Um, It's an honor to be here. And I I look forward to sharing with you. So we're going to be in Psalm chapter 23. If you want to grab your Bibles and turn with me, Psalm chapter 23. We'll start there. And then we're going to be using that um, as a kind of template to talk about what it looks like to have a soul that is in sync and restored as it walks with the Lord. Psalm chapter 23, it says, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. There's the line right there. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup, it overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now, Psalm 23, I'd say without, without exception, is the most well-known chapter, certainly in the book of Psalms, if not entirely the whole Bible. I mean, everyone, it seems, knows it, and its fingerprints are everywhere, from art to music to media to movies to Jay-Z, like Psalm 23. People know this well. I mean, think about how many movies you've seen where someone gets shot or something, and then the very next scene is a group of people standing around a gravesite, right? And someone's opening up reading Psalm 23. And there's, there's been this cultural association with death. Uh, people think that this is the psalm that you read when, when someone kicks a bucket and dies, and it's just to give comfort and hope uh, when you're going through hard times. Now, all of that is true. Absolutely. This is a comforting psalm. But when David wrote Psalm 23, he wrote it uh, to describe not death, but life. 
Um, He wrote it to describe a life that is flourishing, vibrant, alive. I mean, every word, every phrase is packed and filled with this idea of a life that is pursuing the way of God and knowing God, green pastures, still waters. Yeah, I'll go through hard times, dark valleys, but you're going to take me through those dark valleys. Goodness and mercy will follow me. I'm going to dwell in the Lord, the house of the Lord forever. I mean, these aren't words of tragedy or death. Uh, These are words of of life and and joy and exuberance. Like Jesus said in John 10, when he said, I'm the good shepherd, he then said, I have come to give you life and life more abundantly. David, he uses the phrase, he restores my soul. That's a phrase I want to kind of drill into in in the time that we have together. Um, I want to think through, what does that look like? What does it mean to have a restored soul? And First of all, what on earth is a soul, right? If you were to ask the average person, define a soul, tell me what a soul is. Well, I think most people kind of have this idea, well, a soul is this nebulous, kind of ethereal, invisible part of you, kind of like a unicorn or something that, you know, you don't really see and it's kind of magical. And, or maybe when you die, the soul is the part of you that keeps on living. And you think of that prayer that sometimes parents will pray with their kids. Maybe you heard this from your parents at night. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. And if I die before I wake, I pray the Lord my, what, soul to take. Which when you think about it, is kind of a messed up prayer to pray with your kids at night. (laughs) You might die. Maybe we'll see you in the morning. Maybe not. Good luck. I mean, wonder why they need therapy, right? But for many people, that's, that's what they think of soul. Yeah, it's that, you know, if you die, that's, that's what lives on. Other people, they think, no, 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 music genre, <laughs> right? You have rock and you have hip hop and you have jazz and you have soul. Uh, other people think ethics. Like if someone's a sociopath, we say they have no soul. Or maybe we think leadership. Um, if someone's a good NFL player, this guy named Brandon Cooks who goes to our church, who is now with the Rams, and you get a good player like that, or Derek Carr, right? We would say they're the heart and soul of that NFL team. And so there's all these different ideas of soul, relationships, she's my soulmate, we'll say. But, but this is what we need to know. When we go to scripture, the word soul is way more nuanced than that. Uh, It's way more intriguing than that. It's deeper than that. It includes those things, but it goes way beyond those things. And and I want to nerd out with you for just a few minutes, um, if you don't mind. Just share like a few like Hebrew words and thoughts, um, what the Bible has to say about soul. Because if, if we can understand that, if we can get that, I think it can really take our concept of soul from 2D to hopefully 3D. The word soul in, in the Hebrew language is the word nefesh, nefesh. And nefesh can be translated as, well, soul, life, self, person, desire, appetite, emotion, or passion. Um, or I, I like this translation. The soul is the deepest part of you that longs for intimacy with God. Every single one of us today, every human who has ever walked the earth has a soul. That there's something in us that that yearns for our creator. There's something in us that desires and longs for intimacy with God. Like David said, oh God, you are my God. Early will I seek you. My soul longs for you. My my flesh thirsts for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. We we have this need, this this ache, this longing in in our heart that languishes for, for more of God. 
And, and that longing that you have, that the soul that's inside of you, it is what sets you apart from the rest of the created world. A plant lives and reproduces, but a plant doesn't have a soul in the nefesh kind of way. Or think about the difference between a cat and a dog, right? A dog thinks, wow, my owners love me. They care for me. They feed me. They give me a place to stay. A dog thinks, wow, they, they must be gods. A cat, on the other hand, well, a cat thinks very differently, right? A cat thinks, wow, my owners love me, feed me, take care of me, they give me a place to stay. I must be a god. <laughs> so it's the difference between cats and dogs. One has a soul and the other doesn't. I'll let you decide <laughs> what is true. So you have a soul. Uh, the, the animal world that doesn't have it in that way. We, we have this deep ache, this longing, this loneliness, this need to connect with the creator of all things. And, and, and he, here's what we need to know. If your soul is healthy, if the deepest you, the truest you is healthy, then the rest of you is going to be healthy as well. Your soul impacts everything. It's like the roots of a tree. If the roots of a tree are healthy, if they're digging deep in pursuit of water, if they're soaking up the nutrients that's in the soil, then the rest of the tree, because if the roots are healthy, the fruit is healthy too. But if the roots are broken and rotten and falling apart, then the rest of the tree is going to have issues too. Your soul is like the roots of a tree. Or if you like chess, your soul is like the king on a chessboard. It's the most important piece on the chessboard, but it's also the most vulnerable. You've got to protect the king at all costs, because if you lose the king, it's game over. So too with your soul. Your soul is the most important piece of you, but if you don't protect it, if you don't watch it, then it's game over. The rest of you will hurt. It's like a stream of water. If the water is healthy and flourishing, then the rest of life will be healthy and flourishing. But if your soul, like a river of water, is polluted, then the rest of you is going to be sickened and diseased. Um, Dallas Willard, a brilliant thinker, philosopher, writer who went to be with the Lord a few years ago, he said, your soul is like a stream of water which gives strength, direction, and harmony to every other area of our life. When that stream is as it should be, we're constantly refreshed and exuberant in all we do because our soul itself is then profusely rooted in the vastness of God and his kingdom, including nature. And all else within us is enlivened and directed by that stream. Therefore, we are in harmony with God, reality, and the rest of human nature and nature at large. Your soul is the most important part of you. And that is why caring for your soul, that that is why protecting your soul, that that is why taking time like you're doing today to nourish your soul and equip your soul is the most important thing because your soul influences the decisions you make, the words that come out of your mouth, your thought patterns, your sexuality, your relationships, your generosity, the decisions that you make. It, those things flow from you. And if there's brokenness or dysfunction at a soul level, then there will be brokenness in those things too. But if there is health and flourishing at a soul level, then there's going to be health and flourishing in those areas too. Jesus, he put it this way in Mark chapter eight. Let me give you a few verses that speak into this. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose their soul? You, you, could, you could have everything, but if you don't have your soul intact, you have nothing. Jesus says, make sure your soul, your soul is flourishing. I think of another verse in 1 John chapter 3, or 3 John chapter 1. 
I wish above all things that you would prosper and be in health, even as your soul prospers. It's a, it's a holistic thing because, because the rest of you flourishes from a place of a flourishing of soul. First Thessalonians says, may your whole spirit, soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus. Proverbs 4, above all else, guard your soul or guard your heart for it is the wellspring of life. It's like a well of water. If you don't guard it, if you don't care for it, then the rest of you is going to hurt. First Peter says, dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles, abstain from sinful desires, which do what? They wage war against our soul. And how, how true this is. We, we live in a time, we live in an age where there's so much that is warring against our soul. We, we have the busyness, the frenetic schedules of our life where it, it seems like we're busy running here and there, barely have time to, to, to encounter God and connect with God. Uh, we, we have so much on our plates right now and we're juggling home life and work life and social media life and career life and traffic and all these things. And meanwhile, our soul is gasping for air. You know, Blaise Pascal, he talked about this. He said, you know, the, the true problem today, he, Blaise Pascal, and this is hundreds of years ago, he, he said is, it, it stems from an inability for, for mankind to stay still, quiet, in a room alone. <laughs> and he wrote this hundreds of years ago. He's like, that's the problem. Imagine what he would say now in 2018. Right? We just we don't know how to sit still anymore. Our brains have been Googled. We, we live these fragmented lives. Our soul is, is, is under attack. Um, our soul is under attack from the enemy because he's come to steal and kill and destroy. And we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against the rulers of this world. And if you're a follower of Jesus, which is most, if not all of us today, you may as well paint a great big target on your chest because the enemy wants to take us out. He wants to discourage us. He wants to tempt us. He wants to lead us away from, from God. Christianity isn't a, pl- a playground. It's a battleground. And all of us, we, we live in this place, this space, where the enemy's doing his best to drag down our marriages, our thought life, our singleness. He wants to sabotage every moment that could be with God. He wants to destroy and ruin, kill, steal, and destroy. We face the pressures and temptations of a materialistic culture. And we're told kind of the ethos of our day is that we're nothing more than our physicality, right? It's just about flesh and blood, and if that's the thinking of a culture, if a culture says you are nothing more than your physical body, then what will be the driving ethos of that culture? How you look, the clothes you wear, the car you drive, how big a house you have, how many followers you have. That, that, that's the most important thing a culture tells us. And they've excluded the soul. And we wonder why we feel so fragmented and alone, because there's more to us than our physical bodies. We face the pressures, the temptation of, of just sin. I mean, every single one of us, without exception, we struggle with sin. Maybe with the exception of Samuel, because he's godly. But the rest of us, like, we're in this place where, yeah, we want to follow Jesus and pursue the way of Jesus, but we also deal with a, a part of us that's like, ah, we do things we shouldn't do. We, we make mistakes. We fall down, whether it's anger, bitterness, lust, greed, envy, gossip, whatever. And, and these things war against us. They fight our soul. Up in Portland, our church... Um, it has a lot of young people, which is really cool right now. A lot of millennials, a lot of centennials. 
And uh, I just love how, how the Lord is, is working in our community. And of course, with that, there's a lot of interesting conversations and needs and struggles. And I, I met with a guy not too long ago, 21 years old. We're having a cup of coffee like you do in Portland. If you've seen Portlandia, it's like the coffee <laughs> capital. And we're, we're, we're having coffee. And he's like, hey, Dom, you know, um, I'm struggling. Well, what's going on? He's like, I'm dating this girl right now. She's not a follower of Jesus. And we were making a ton of mistakes sexually. And it's, it's not a healthy situation. And of course, I asked the question. I'm like, well, you're wanting to go this way and pursuing God. And she's pulling you that way. Like, why, why, are you, why are you continuing on in this relationship if you know it's not good for your soul? And, and his response was classic. I'll never forget it. He just looked at me. He's like, but Dom, you don't understand. She is so hot. That was his response. And I said, well, so is hell, right? <laughs> and and I, I, I see this guy where, yeah, there's this desire, there's this longing, there's this need, there's this ache. God, I, I want to pursue you. I want to know you. But he's like, I'm, 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 I'm under attack. My, my soul is under siege. It, it's waging war against the deepest part of me, the truest me. And, and this is why over and over again, the Bible says the most important thing you can do is care for your soul. Your soul, like the roots of a tree, need to be rooted and grounded in God in order for the rest of you, all of you, to thrive and to come alive. So, so here's the question. How do we get to a place where of, of a soul that's gasping for air, a soul that's being crushed by the temptations of sin, a soul that is longing for a deeper relationship with God? How, how do we get from that to what David is describing in Psalm 23 when he says, God, you restore my soul. My cup overflows. I mean, how many of us long for that, the overflowing cup? How many of us long to be in a place where there's just so much of God that is, is flowing through us and in us. It just, it, it flows out of us into the people and lives of those who are around us. How do we get to green pastures and to still waters? And, and the answer to that question is actually a lot simpler than we may imagine. And, and here it is. Intimacy with God is the secret to the restoration of the soul. You want your soul to thrive? You want the deepest you to come alive? You, you desire a, a relationship with God that, that is vibrant? Then it begins in a place of deep and profound and authentic intimacy, all of life, open heart, open hands, willingness, receptivity, hearing the voice of your shepherd. That kind of relationship with God is what is going to cause your soul to come alive. And this language we see all throughout this psalm. David is describing the kind of relationship that we can have with God that when he's our shepherd, when we're close to him, our soul is going to be restored. How so? Well, if you have your Bibles open, you may want to look back down in verse 1. This, this is so key. He says, the Lord is my, my shepherd. <laughs> Interesting. The word shepherd here is a lot deeper than we, we may imagine. I'll nerd out with you for a second more. The word shepherd in Hebrew is the word ra'ah. Ra'ah. Sounds like a Katy Perry song. You're going to hear me ra'ah. And it means protector. It means provider. And it means friend. This is language of intimacy because being a shepherd in the ancient world, it wasn't a nine to five job. 
<laughs> it wasn't like you just show up and punch the clock. Okay, I'm here. I'm the shepherd for the day. And then you go home. No, if you're a shepherd, and many, many people were shepherds. David was a shepherd. This was an all of life, 24-7 experience with the sheep. You ate with the sheep. You named the sheep. You helped the sheep. You cared for the sheep. If they were injured, you carried the sheep. You led the sheep from pasture to pasture. You protected the sheep too. In fact, at night, the shepherd would take his sheep into a pen or into a cave, and then the shepherd would actually lay down in between that doorway. He would literally become the door to the sheep. Now, why, why would he do that? For a couple of reasons. Number one, he would lay across the doorway because he didn't want the sheep to get out. I don't know if you know this, but sheep, they're not known for being the smartest animals, um, which is fascinating to me that of all the metaphors God could have used of us, <laughs> he doesn't say you're my eagles, you're my lions. He doesn't even say you're my golden doodles. That would be cool. He's like, you're sheep. You're my sheeple, right? So he'd, he'd lay down to help those sheep because he knows that left to their own devices, they're just going to do their own thing. But he'd also do that because he wanted to protect the sheep. There were wolves, there were predators. He, he would lay down, literally laying down his life to, to care for those sheep, which is what Jesus said in John chapter 10. He said, I am the good shepherd. And the good shepherd does what? He lays down his life for the sheep. He also said in that same passage, I am the door. He's not saying I'm made of wood. When he says I'm the door, he's saying protector, provider, friend. This is language of intimacy, which is what he's talking about. Back in Psalm 23, David says he leads me to green pastures, to quiet waters, because if a sheep was agitated or stressed out or worried or confused, what that shepherd would do is gently take that sheep and lead them. The word lead in Hebrew is nahal. It means to take quietly or gently by the hand. Okay, you're worried, you're stressed, you're freaking out right now. It's going to be okay. Come on over here. And he take the sheep to a green pasture, to a still water. He'd speak soothingly to that sheep. He'd lay that sheep down. And in that place of intimacy with the shepherd, hearing the shepherd's voice, close to the shepherd, that sheep could begin to breathe again. It finds a place of rest, which is why in verse 3, coming out of the shepherding language, he says this line, he restores my soul. Now here, here's something really cool. Soul is the word nafesh in Hebrew, right? But nefesh comes from a Hebrew, another Hebrew word, nefash. So it's kind of confusing. You have nefesh and you have nefash. What does nefash mean? Well, in Hebrew, it means to take a deep breath. To take a deep breath. In fact, why don't we do that right now? On the count of three, I just want you to take the, the deepest possible breath that you can. Okay? One, two, three, go. Doesn't that feel good? Like there's something about a deep breath. It's like, oh, it just kind of, it centers you. It, it gives you peace. There's something, you can just let go of whatever you're holding on to. A deep breath. He restores nefash, my soul. He, he's breathing life back into me. What David is literally saying, this is where it's so beautiful in the original language, is he saying, he will return my breath to me. Isn't that what we long for? 
Because many of us, like these sheep, we get winded and exhausted and tired and confused and agitated and lonely and depressed and anxious and worried. And our soul is gasping for air. And our shepherd, his desire, his longing for you, his dream for me, is to put breath back in me, to restore me, to heal me. But here's the thing. If you want to feel the breath of God, you've got to be close to him. You've got to be close to him. If I'm out in left field somewhere, my shepherd's saying, let's go this way. There's green pastures. There's still waters. I want to bless you. I want to flourish you. I I want your life to thrive and be in sync with my spirit. But I'm over here doing my own thing. Then, of course, my soul is going to be winded. Of course, I'm going to be gasping for air. But it's when I'm close to my shepherd that my soul comes alive. And we see this from the very beginning. You know, in Genesis chapter 1, it says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And after he made everything, he said three words. Who knows this? It is what? It is good. So he made the stars. It is good. He made the oceans. It is good. He made Oregon. He said, it is good. He made San Ramon. He said, it's very good, right? It's good. It's good. It's good. It's good. On the sixth day, he created Madam, uh, Madam, Adam. It's a whole nother conversation. <laughs> Adam. <laughs> and he said, it is not good. Now, that's an interesting thing to me. It is good, it's good, it's good. Then he makes man, Adam, and he says, it, it's not good. Maybe he took one look at Adam and said, I can do better than that, and that's when he made Eve. My wife likes that. He looked at him, he's like, okay, there's something wrong here. What was it? Well, he needed his soul to come alive. He was lonely. And so in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, we have this beautiful verse. First mention of the word soul. It says, he breathed him, he formed him from the dust, and he breathed into him the breath of life, and he became a living, here it is, nefesh, soul. Now this is what I want us to notice. How did Adam, the very first human, how did he get his soul? It began as the breath of of God. Your soul began as the breath of God. God breathed on him. Again, this is language of intimacy. Think shepherd, ra'ah, closeness, friend, protector, provider, because if you're close enough to feel someone's breath, I mean, think about how intimate that is. (laughs) If you're close enough to feel someone's breath on your face, you're either married or about to be, right? (laughs) Or you're in a very awkward conversation. To feel someone's breath means you're close to them, and to feel the breath of God means that we have to be close to him. Your soul began as the breath of God because when you're close to your shepherd, it's then that you find your breath again. How many of us were winded, we're gasping for air, we're longing for more, we're thirsty, we're hungry, and our shepherd is saying, come closer to me. Spend time with me. Be in my presence. And then your soul will find its rest. Richard Foster, he said, don't you feel a tug, a yearning to sink down into the silence and solitude of God? Don't you long for something more? Doesn't every breath crave a deeper, fuller exposure to his presence? And I would say, yes. I know you would say that too. That's what I'm longing for. 
I, I might think that I want a better car. I might think I want a better job. I want think, might think that I want a better relationship. But in reality, what, what the truest me is longing for, the deepest me is longing for, is not more stuff, but it's God. It's the presence of my shepherd. It's his breath on my face. It's skin on skin closeness. It's raw vulnerability. It's intimacy. It's aliveness. It's the overflowing cup. It's the green pastures. It's the still waters. It's goodness and mercy that follows me all the days of my life. That that is what it means to be fully human, to be fully alive. And it's only there in the presence of my God that I can be who God fully designed and created me to be. And that kind of relationship with God, that kind of relationship with your shepherd, here's the good news. It starts now, right now. Jesus, in John chapter 15, he said, abide in me and I will abide in you. Abide just means be at home at, spend time with, come close to, be with me, our shepherd says, and I'll be with you. Ask and you shall receive. Knock and the door will be open. Jesus doesn't say, hey, you want to experience my presence in your life? Okay, here's what you need to do. You need to jump through these hoops. You need to pray these mantras. You need to light these prayers. You need to do these good works. You need to climb a mountain and stare at your belly button. Then maybe you'll experience my presence. No, our shepherd doesn't say that. He just says, hang out with me. Spend time with me. Be with me. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Intimacy with God begins right now. John Ortberg, he, he's a pastor, I think, in this area. Um, and he has this book called Soul Keeping. A brilliant book and highly recommend it. He said, God wants you to, to focus on him, to be with him. Abide in me. Just relax and learn to enjoy his presence. Every day is a collection of moments, 86,400 seconds in a day. How many of them can you live with God? Start where you are and grow from there. God wants to be with you every moment. I love that. God's given us 86,400 seconds. Everyone has the same amount of seconds in every day. And the question is, we, we can either live each moment absent the presence of God, live each moment detached from the presence of God, or we can say, no, you've given me this 86,400 seconds, and I want to experience you. I want to be with you. I want to feel the breath of God on my face. I, I want to right now abide in him, and he will abide in me. And it doesn't just mean going to church or doing quote-unquote spiritual things, because every moment is an opportunity. Walking your dog can be an opportunity to encounter the presence of God. Washing the dishes, ask Brother Lawrence, who wrote a book on the subject, can be an opportunity to encounter the presence of God. Being stuck in traffic, believe it or not, can be an opportunity to encounter the presence of God. This actually happened to me not too long ago. I was up in Portland. Traffic's crazy up there. I'm sure it is down here too. And I, I had a bad attitude about it, and I was kind of late for this meeting. And God just spoke to my heart. He's like, you can either drive to this meeting and be grumpy and on edge and in the flesh, <laughs> or you can use this moment, you can capitalize on this moment, you can redeem the time and seek me and worship me. So I put on a, a Hillsong album, and it just touched my heart. I just began to sing. Well, here's the deal. I actually got so into it, I didn't notice that all the traffic was kind of moving on. And I was still doing 20, and everyone else is doing 40. <laughs> 
And so this guy who was behind me, he's like trying to get around me. And I notice, oh my goodness, I've been going way too slow. And he pulls up next to me and I'm like singing into it. And I look and he flipped me off. Now, isn't that fascinating how you can be having this epic moment with the spirit of God and then suddenly it's like, boom, back to reality. So what do you do, right? You're a pastor and this guy just does this. So I flipped him off too. No, I'm kidding. I totally, I did not. I did not. I prayed for him. I'm like, Lord, just judge him right now in the name of Jesus. No, no, I didn't do that either. But but a moment like that is an opportunity, right? Your, Your car, believe it or not, can become a cathedral. Waking up in the morning instead of reaching for the phone, which is what I so often do. Check my email, news, and then I wonder why I start the day on the wrong foot because the world is so messed up, and then I am cynical as I step into the day. Instead of doing that, saying, you know what, forget that. I'm going to open my Bible. I'm just going to take two minutes, five minutes, ten minutes. I'm just going to be with my shepherd. You're standing at line at Costco. Everyone else is staring at their phone, checking the score. What what would it look like to say, you know what, I'm, I'm with you right now, Lord, in Costco. There's a line of people. I'm just going to pray. Maybe praying for the people around you. Now, I'm not saying it has to be like out loud, in the name of Jesus. Like, that could be awkward and weird at Costco. Who knows? Maybe a revival would happen. But it's like, here in these simple, ordinary moments, you can experience the presence of God. David was a shepherd, and he said, it's, it's here. I've learned this secret. I've learned this secret as a sh- shepherd, taking care of my sheep, that you're here with me, that you will never abandon me. And even when I go through the dark valleys of life, you won't forsake me. Ra'ah, shepherd, protector, provider, friend. I want to be so close to you that I feel your breath upon my face. I want to hear your voice. I want to go where you tell me to go. And when we begin to understand that, that intimacy begins in ordinary things. Intimacy with God begins in mundane things, even boring things. God is there. This poet, her name is Elizabeth Barrett Browning. She said, earth is crammed with heaven and every common bush of fire with God. But only he who sees takes off his shoes. And so I close with the story of another shepherd. His name was Moses. And for 40 years, he had been taking care of sheep in the desert. Talk about a boring job. 40 years in the desert. If you've ever been to Israel, there's not much out there in the desert. Same sheep, 40 years. And finally, one day, the Bible says he saw a bush that was burning. And I guess that was like really exciting for him. Wow, something's on fire. Yay, this is so cool. Something different, a change. And he goes up to the, and he goes up to the bush, and the bush talked to him. That's when you know you've been in the same job too long. And it was God. And God said to Moses, Moses, take off your sandals, because where you're standing is what? holy ground. And Moses must have thought, you've got to be kidding me. This? (laughs) I'd understand if you pointed to a temple or cathedral, that's holy ground. This? It's dusty. It's ordinary. It's dirty. It's my job. It's where I walk. It's where the sheep hang out. This ground is holy ground. To Moses, it was mundane, boring work, life stuff. But God said, no, it is holy. 
As followers of our shepherd, there is no such thing as holy ground, or as ordinary ground. It's all holy. Every moment is infused, invaded, saturated with the presence of God. The fingerprints of God are all over your life. He is with you. He is for you. When we open our eyes to that, we can experience presence, his intimacy, his closeness, his spirit right now. It's in that space of thereness, withness, aroundness. He's here right now in our presence, in our hearts, working in our life, in our marriage, in our singleness. It is holy ground. Your job is holy ground. Not my boss, you might think. He reminds me of Voldemort. It's still holy ground. This church is holy ground. Parenting is holy ground. Sitting down and having a cup of coffee with a friend is holy ground. Raising your kids is holy ground. Your singleness is holy ground. No matter what culture says, no matter what the enemy says, no matter what is in front of you right now, it is an opportunity to experience his presence because intimacy with God starts now. So Moses, God said, Moses Take off your sandals. Why? Because God didn't want anything to get in between him and holy ground. It's just a sandal. It's no big deal. It's only an inch thick. No, Moses, I want you to sink my toes into, your pre- into my presence. Nothing needs to get between you and me. Experience me. Be close to me. Take off your sandals. And so is there anything in our life Is there anything that we need to let go of? Any sandal that we've come in here carrying that we need to say, it's got to go. I need to let go of that so that I can sink my toes into his presence. Jesus put it this way, our good shepherd. He said, you know, if your hand causes you to sin, do what with it? (laughs) He said, cut it off. If your eye causes you to sin, do what? Pluck it out. He's not being literal or else we'd all be blind and handless but he's being radical. He's saying, don't let anything get between you and me because I'm your shepherd and I've got green pastures for you. There are places I want to take you. There's things I want to show you. There's stuff I want to do in you. And it starts right now. So let's take off our sandals and worship him. Let's all stand, shall we? God, we we stand here in your presence right now and we just want to acknowledge that you are here. We've all come to this place, God, in different spaces and different places and struggling with different things. I know for most of us, God, we, we just want more of you. We want our soul to thrive, to be restored. And I pray for my brothers and sisters, for this amazing, beautiful church, for this community. I pray that we could be a people who encounter you in each moment, in each day, leaving this building, getting in our car, driving home, going to work tomorrow, the stuff you've placed before us, May we be close to you and hear from you. 
And if there's anything in our life that we need to let go of, any sandal on our foot that we need to take off so that we can sink our toes into holiness, I pray, God, that that would happen right now. Right now. May nothing come between you and us. We love you. We worship you now. Thank you so much for joining us today. It's our hope that you will let this message go deep within your soul and allow Jesus to do the work that only He can do. We also want to encourage you to partner with us here at Brave. Go to brave.church and become a regular giver and be part of how God is using this message to help people find and follow Jesus.